Hey, I want to thank all of you for uh, giving me the opportunity to be out of town this Sunday. I'm going to be up in Michigan for a family reunion, driving through the great city of Ann Arbor, um, and I know all of you will be thrilled about that. Um, but I, I want to thank you for the chance to get away, and I also want to say a personal thank you to my friend Chris Melmstrom for coming and speaking today. I've known for a number of months that I was going to be gone today, and I wanted to bring in someone from outside the church um, to speak on this Sunday, and the very first person I thought of was, was Chris. I love his heart for ministry, I love his approach to, to scripture, and I'm excited about the message that he's bringing today. So I hope you'll all give Chris a, a very warm uh, welcome to Central. I will be watching the service online uh, from Michigan this week, uh, but I'll be thinking about you and praying for you. And again, just want to add my welcome to, uh, to Vito's uh, and welcome, giving Chris a warm welcome. Hey, God bless you, and hope you have a wonderful Sunday. And Chris, thank you so much for filling in uh, for me uh, this morning. Um, my name is Chris Malmstrom. I have known Carl Ruby for, uh, I was actually doing the math in my sermon prep, and we met 17 years ago, which it's crazy to think if you want to feel a little bit older. 2004 was 17 years ago. That's, uh, that's a pretty crazy thought. But anyways, we met uh, at a place that we were both, uh, I was a student, he was working uh, back then, and um, currently I serve as the, the Bible department chair and the director of student life at Dayton Christian School, which is... Uh, um, I don't know, a good 30, 40 minutes from here. We have about 1,000 students pre-K through 12th grade. Um, it's one of the largest Christian schools in the Midwest, I think. And I've been there for seven years. Um, I'm married to Lauren. She's here with me today. Our kids are actually visiting their grandparents in Indiana, and so they're not here today. But um, our twins turn nine tomorrow, and our daughter Charlotte is six. And uh, yeah, so our house is always, it's wild. It's a, it's a crazy time. But uh, Anyways, I'm excited to be here. I have really enjoyed Carl's um, this, this last few months of, or however long it's been, this whole sermon series of like, what's up with that? I just thought it's a really cool way to address some really important issues. And um, he had reached out to me a while ago and said, well, what do you think you want to talk about? And so for me, I, I really wanted to talk about um, some things that I've been dealing with um, over the past, I don't know, several years uh, particularly uh, Christian culture warriors. So that, the title for today is What's Up with Christian Culture Warriors? Um, I will make one disclaimer because I am going to go through this quickly and I, I will be done by 11.15. But if you want to get the notes, there's a lot of blanks in the bulletin I was noticing. And I think if you, if you want to email me or Vito, I think he might be able to send you the filled in blanks because I don't know how quickly I'm going to go through these and I'll feel bad if I go so fast and people don't get to write things down. But... Anyway, so today's message is what's up with Christian culture warriors, and so I'm going to have to make some definitions. Um, I'm going to have to kind of go in and talk about what I mean by that, but uh, I'll get started by referencing the book, and I think I have a slide um, about this. I will be starting a new book with my 12th grade Bible students this year, and it's written by Daryl Bach, and the title of the book is Cultural Intelligence. And it's a really, a really great book. It's a short read. I would highly recommend it. Many of the things that I'm going to be talking about this morning come from some of Dr. Bach and his thoughts on this. Um, but anyways, that's the book. And uh, the subtitle is Living for God in a, in a Diverse Pluralistic World. And so Daryl is a, a, a New Testament scholar at Dallas Theological Seminary. And um, this book, I think, really addresses things very beautifully in a balanced way. Um, he does a nice job of not trying to offend people on you know, either side of, uh, of this, and so I think it was really good. I'm going to spend a few minutes kind of building what I think are the most critical points surrounding 
what I mean by uh, culture warriors and cultural intelligence. There is no formal theology in the church uh, for cultural intelligence or cultural engagement. And so I've been spending a lot of time over the past several years talking with local pastors about, you know, I mean, it's no mystery that uh, Christianity is, is it's, it's in this decline over the past 50 years, you know, and then COVID hit and it seems like even now, more so than ever, uh, churches are more empty uh, than they've ever been. And so the question for us becomes, what is it that we're doing to address how we're going to maybe preserve Christianity for the next 50 years, 100 years, whatever it is? Um, I think this is one of, our, one of our biggest blind spots, is the way that we as biblical Christians have engaged our culture. I think in many ways it's failed, and I think there's many ways that we could talk about that. Um, I consider it to be one of my main, uh, one of the main points of my job at Dayton Christian uh, to, to help students keep their faith through their teen years and through their 20s. Um, it seems like many um, young people are leaving their faith, they're leaving Christianity, they're leaving the church, however you want to phrase that, at some point in their 20s. Carl gave a message about that a few weeks ago, talking about how young Christians are seeking an authentic faith, one that looks, feels, and sounds more like Jesus. I think he did a great job handling that. I won't get into the details of that, but ultimately we're in a bit of a crisis at the moment with young people. And so I'm investing my life in trying to raise up the next generation of young Christian leaders because um, it's just incredibly important for our faith that we think about this correctly. And so our goal, I think, for me at, at Dayton Christian is to cultivate relationships with students in such a way uh, that they would carry and own their faith um, and, and hopefully keep it through their 20s uh, and into their adult lives. Um, before I get into the main points, and I only have a few, I want to just give, offer some, hopefully some non-threatening critiques of of how I believe Christians have mishandled cultural engagement. Um, the first one is, is this. It's that a relationship with Jesus is not primarily about what he can do for us. Instead, it's about entering into the reality of what God is up to in our world. See, God himself uh, sets out for Scripture uh, for us that he is on a mission. To, he's on a mission to rescue and to redeem all that has been lost as a result of the fall that we read about in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, so God is on this mission, and in choosing Christ and denying ourselves, we're not only receiving the personal forgiveness of our sins, but we are being adopted into God's family, and we're joining God. We get to join God on his mission in the world for reclamation, for restoration. And so as we join into God's family, this broader picture is incredibly important. And that's the second thing. Uh, we need to keep the broader context in mind. What is God up to in the world? It's more important than ever, uh, in my estimation, to remain fully focused on God's purposes in the world, his broader purposes, things that we read about in Matthew chapter 25, caring for those who are in need, preaching the good news to the poor, drawing near to those who are on the margins, and setting the captives free. Even if you read in Luke chapter 4, when, when Jesus gives his inaugural message about what he's going to do, he references things like this, and then he recaps it again at the end. It's within this broader context of God's overall mission and purpose for the world that we will actually begin to see how cultural engagement is supposed to work. And that is where I spend a lot of the bulk of my time thinking through things um, at DC and for our students. 
And so what is cultural intelligence? I have a definition for us here. Uh, this is a really simple one. Hopefully it uh, does the job. What is happening in the world around us and how we engage these changes well? The world is changing. We know this. We don't have to go into definitions of that. But what has happened over the years is for far too long, Christians have wrongly framed the culture as our enemy. Uh, this creates a whole bunch of problems for us. Specifically, that the Bible never frames culture as our enemy. Ephesians, which was read this morning, uh, actually talks about how there are spiritual forces of darkness in, uh, that are in the unseen world. The scripture is clear uh, that the enemy of Christians is not flesh and blood. The enemy of Christians is never flesh and blood. There are multiple verses we could talk about. I'm going to go through a couple this morning. Um, but we are up against a spiritual enemy. And this is why in Ephesians chapter 6, the, all of the armor that's mentioned, these are, these are a, it is a spiritual armor for us to engage in a spiritual battle. So what we would say at the outset, and what I want to say this morning, is that a rightly framed cultural intelligence sees the world and our culture as an opportunity, not as the enemy, right? And so from the outset, we have to reframe how we think. Uh, and I think that's my big idea for this morning in the bulletin. Rightly framed cultural intelligence uh, sees our culture as an opportunity, not as an enemy. And so the current manifestation of seeing culture as an enemy has come to fruition in many ways. One of those is within this context of culture war uh, Christianity. We've taught a course at Dayton Christian dating, I think, over 30 years, and it's called Current Social Problems. And we address all sorts of issues happening in the world and within Christian thinking. And what I find so interesting is that there has been a historic precedent for Christians to sort of go to war against certain issues. Um, and I think this mentality, this posturing of framing culture as enemy ends up uh, getting us in trouble. I think we have to completely reject and move away from that. Uh, culture war Christianity is much more suited to create enemies and opponents than it is to create Christ followers. And I think we've sort of been doing that, maybe not even intentionally, maybe unintentionally. But we have to remember that our actual battle, the actual evil, is against cosmic spiritual forces. And so Christians need to engage culture with humility instead of arrogance, and our battle is against cosmic spiritual forces. We have to remember that even according to Revelation chapter 11, only Jesus uh, can fix the world. And so, culture war Christianity, let me try to define this a little bit uh, for you this morning. Uh, it usually goes something like this. There are certain people out there, uh, and the people out there um, are out to get us. They're out to get us Christians. The world, we like that word as well, the world is out to get us we frame ourselves as victims and we are in a fight, a battle, a war against these forces, these people, these things that are out to get us. And the future of Christianity depends on our engaging in this battle. And so you hear a lot of this battle language, especially now. Um, while it is incredibly important that we need to engage culture. The problem is that we have been fighting from a place of insecurity. We've been fighting from our own insecurities, from historical insecurities. And what it does is it puts us on the attack all the time. We're in this posture where we want to go at these things. We want to have better arguments and more logical reasoning and all of this stuff. And we're, in the, we're on the attack. And what I would say to that 
is we shouldn't expect people who don't know Christ, who haven't been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, to support or to prop up our faith for us. And so a lot of the conversations I have with my colleagues and others in leadership are getting them to understand that they're putting too much trust in people who don't know Christ to prop up our faith for us. And this is a really, a kind of a bad idea. And I've seen a lot of this lately. The church in America, and rightly so, is still coping with the gradual loss of influence that we have in culture. Dr. Bach, in his book, talks about the, this net of Christianity that has always kind of been present. We could always lean on this sort of Christian subculture within our American culture. And the reality is this, and he illustrates this much better than I can, that net is, is, is going away, and it's largely gone away. And, and yet we are still feeling in the church the loss of this. We feel the pain of that uh, over the past 50, 100 years. We've simply been trying to fight the wrong kind of fight. Um, we have been trying to take over culture through confrontation instead of the way that the Apostle Paul uh, puts forward to us that I'll be talking about today. And so it's, it's essential, and I think we already put this up, it is essential that we engage culture with humility instead of arrogance. And that we take our roles as ambassadors and the message of Christ seriously. Um, what happens is when we take on our role as ambassadors of Christ, when you're an ambassador, if you're a U.S. ambassador in France, you're representing the United States. The same thing is true if I'm an ambassador for Christ, I represent Christ where I go in my workplace, in my family, right, at the grocery store. And what's beautiful about taking that role of ambassador seriously is that I no longer have to be an ambassador for anything else. I don't need to be an ambassador for uh, any specific country or any race or ideology or politic. I'm an ambassador for Christ. And I, and I take the teachings and message of Christ wherever I go. I represent those things. Um, our goal as Christians is not to take over the world. It never will be, it never was. Jesus is the only one who can fix the world. We are partnering with God in his mission in the world. Reclamation, redemption, setting the captives free, preaching the good news to the poor. My first verse uh, that I'm going to dig into is from James chapter 1, and it is uh, found in verses 19 and 20, and it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So much of what I'm going to be talking about today as I try to lay out an, uh, an idea for cultural engagement is based in this, slow to speak and quick to listen. Um, People are not the enemy of Christ's followers. They are the goal of the church. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had that ends in, in this way. People, we have to put, you know, whatever sort of people really ruffle our feathers, the kind of people that really make our blood boil. And for, for those of us in the room, that could be all different kinds of people from all different walks of life. Um, but those people, the, the, the people that really make our blood boil, those are not the enemies of Christ's followers. Those people are the goal of the church. And people are trapped. They're trapped in a hostile spiritual environment. And what's even crazier than that is not only are they trapped in a hostile spiritual environment, they don't even know they're trapped. And so we have to be so careful with our posture. 
people aren't even aware of the problem. Um, Part of what I have seen in my own life as I bring the message of Christ forward is Modern, postmodern people, especially today, my age, uh, they rarely even think that spiritual forces are a real thing. They rarely are even willing to admit that, you know, oh, there's an unseen world. Like, none of that, right? With modern takes on science, you're, we're already starting with a severe handicap. Our worldview is so shifted and is so different in culture that we've got to be able to start somewhere. And just like Ephesians says, this is a spiritual battle. People don't even know that they're in danger. And so we can't see the people that make our blood boil as people to be crushed or as enemies to be defeated, but instead as people who need to be invited and need to be welcomed into a different kind of space, into a different kind of life, into a life that is reflective of the kingdom of God, which again, I don't have time to go into a whole theology of that, but we are inviting and welcoming people into a different way of life, into a way of life that is different than what they see, right, uh, with Jesus as king. This is really important. The, be- the only way that I can describe this, uh, and maybe using a story, it's kind of like if we were on a boat that was sinking, right, and there are lifeboats out there, and there's plenty of lifeboats, And we are getting everybody into the lifeboats as quickly as we can, right? The boat is sinking, but we're trying to get people. And then for whatever reason, as we're throwing out the life buoys, uh, some people are just saying, you know what, I'd rather sink. Our posturing towards these people that are in danger needs to be so careful. We don't need to yell at them to explain to them why this and that. We need to figure out how to be... uh, talking about these things in a way that is invitational. So I want to try to set that up for us. Um, Ephesians 6.12, just to go back to the verse that was already read, it says this, for our struggle is, against, is, is not against flesh and blood, uh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. 1 Peter 3.15 uh, and 16 says this, be prepared to give a defense for Christ with meekness and with respect. Because we aren't just defending ideas, we're defending hope. We're defending a different orientation to life. Our tone matters. Courtesy and respect matters. We're inviting people. Uh, we're not yelling at them. We're not trying to be forceful in, our, in the way that we deliver the message of the good news. Um, this verse, again, we could talk a lot about that. But I'm going to move on to Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Let your speech always be seasoned with salt and full of grace. What's amazing to me is this verse could speak to me for the rest of my life without any of the rest of the New Testament because my speech is not always seasoned with salt and I'm not always full of grace. I repeatedly find myself wanting to say something else, not able to listen because I want to interject something else. Colossians 6 verse 10 says, do good to all people, especially people of the faith, but do good both inside and outside the body of God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 and 21 says, as Christ's ambassadors, we implore you, be reconciled to God. We invite and we plead, and we pray. Our tone matters. 
as ambassadors for Christ, right, we are hoping and praying and imploring, be reconciled to God. He is your creator, and he wants you to be a part of his family. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 26 says, Live above disputes. Don't engage in foolish arguments that produce quarrels. Instead, instruct gently with hope that God would grant repentance, that they might escape, and there's some more language, the trap of the devil. That they might escape the trap of the devil, right? Sin so easily entangles. It's, It's a mess. People are enslaved to it, and the devil is attempting, very clearly in Scripture, to trap people. The best example, I think, of cultural engagement in the New Testament can be found in Acts chapter 17, verse 22. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the the Athenians, and he's speaking to their culture. What's so interesting and beautiful about this text is we already know what Paul thinks about Athens if we read Romans chapter 1, right? He He's upset about the idolatry happening there. He's, cl- he's clearly not on board with all of the, the things that are happening in Athens. And yet, here we go in Acts chapter 17, when Paul is at Mars Hill, and he's speaking to these folks in Athens. He, in, instead of launching into a critique, Paul begins by building a bridge. Okay? He builds a bridge to the Athenian culture, and then he delivers his honest critique. He doesn't start the conversation with the people at Athens by calling them idolaters by calling them worshipers of false gods. Instead, Paul's introductory statement to them is that they are, he says, you are very religious in every way. I see that you are very religious in every way. So Paul says, you know what? I'm going to be talking to people who care deeply about religion, and so let's talk about religious things. In fact, we know that he didn't appreciate the idolatry at all. He had heavier things to say in Romans, but when he was met with the responsibility of bringing the message of Christ to an, a culture full of idolatry, he calls them religious people. And then he later in the conversation turns towards the gospel and towards resurrection and what humanity is about and how God is their creator. It's beautiful. Um, he lays the foundation for relationship first. He wants to talk with religious people about religious things. He wants to talk to idol worshipers about idols. And so Paul lays the foundation. He builds the bridge. And so here we are in the 21st century in the West in America. We're in Ohio. We're in Springfield. How do we talk about the message of Jesus with people who often know very little about the Bible? Well, we introduce them to a God who's personal, who created them, who loves them, and who wants them to be in his family. And people are accountable to God because they're, because he is their creator. And, and this is an invitation. It's a welcoming to a different way of life. So how then do we live in a way that looks like Jesus, in a way that looks less like a culture warrior? How do we do that? What does it look like? I think it starts with gentleness. I think it starts with humility. And I think it starts with us understanding the message of Jesus. We need to have more conversations. We need to have better conversations. We need to mute our doctrinal meters. I have the incredible blessing of working at a place where at Dayton Christian, I think the last time I checked, we represent over 180 local churches. And so every flavor of Christianity, we've got somebody. And this allows us to be very careful about, you know, I can't launch into big teachings on the Eucharist or baptism or any of that. I have to be talking about Jesus. What are are the things that unify us? 
And we need to be better at this as Christians. Um, we need to ask questions like, where does that come from? Um, I'm interested in that. What motivates you to say that? I need to get a sense of where you're coming from. I want to learn more about why you think what you do. We can't run too quickly towards assessment. We can't do that stuff so quickly that in the process we ruin relationship. We ruin opportunity. We have to take time to step back. We got to connect with the person. We have to care enough about them to understand where they're coming from. And then I'll say these, these three points, and I'm going to spend some time on this first one. Um, we have to pursue mutual understanding before we pursue assessment. I teach this um, in 12th grade. We spend a tremendous amount of time, and what does it mean to pursue mutual understanding? What I don't mean is that you have to agree. Understanding does not mean agreement. Understanding means that you have patience and that you take time. It means that you have heard what someone has said and you have heard why they have said it. And for whatever reason, in the way that we've engaged culture, it's, it's so uh, violent and angry and oftentimes we have a million things that we want to say and we, we spend no time in pursuit of mutual understanding. And it is my recommendation that we spend more time doing that because it will build a relationship. It will build a bridge. Um, if you agree or disagree with someone, it doesn't have to end relationship. As a matter of fact, it should build both of you up. Um, the second point is that we should avoid rebuttal mode. Uh, and here's what I mean. We talk past each other often. We, we spend time um, talking in such a way that we're not listening very well. And so I have tried so hard over the past five, six years to just listen more. And just like the first verse that I talked about from James chapter 1, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Here, don't have a rebuttal for everything a person says. It's okay. We're human beings together, and we have to walk this road together. And if we're going to pursue mutual understanding, we have to have patience and give time. We need to be committed to really seeking to hear. And then thirdly, we need to be aware of how our own identity and how our own self-understanding impacts what we're discussing. Um, so much of how I've been formed, the place that I went to school, the pastors that invested their life into me, the family members who have prayed for me, the way in which I have, my life has been led, those things are beautiful and wonderful, but they greatly impact uh, the things that I engage and the things that I have knowledge of and that I don't have knowledge of. I'm limited. We have to become really greatly in tuned to our own blind spots and to our own tendencies. We all need to take a deep dive and understand that we see things the way we do uh, because of how we were raised and what we know. In order for us to be more aware, we have to continually push ourselves to be surrounded by people from various backgrounds, people from various cultures, uh, belief systems and races, uh, I worked really hard the last few years to uh, get one of my pastor friends to come on staff with us at Dayton Christian. He pastors a church on the west end of Dayton, and here we are in the south side of Dayton, which 
Uh, and Dayton Christian is full of upper, middle class, white, evangelical families. And we have a huge blind spot that we need to be fully aware of, that the kingdom of God is not well represented. And we have to be always asking questions of ourselves and allowing others in the community of faith to critique us in ways that will grow us, that will strengthen us, that will open our eyes to things that, wow, we didn't even think about that. And I can't tell you the number of times over the years that when I ask great questions, when I surround myself uh, in churches that are not like me, uh, how much I learn and how much it helps me understand. And so my last point uh, that I want to make before we uh, launch into a couple, I think we have a couple of more songs coming up and then we'll close out the service. But my last point is that I, my hope for us is that we would become more curious, um, not more triggered. And um, I guess there's, there's several stories that I could tell, but as I think about my time serving in various churches, uh, Lauren and I have had the pleasure of being a part of uh, multiple church plants that are multicultural. Um, we, we helped plant a church in Louisville, Kentucky when I was in graduate school down there, and um, the way that they started it was so beautiful. Uh, we found this neighborhood, uh, and a lot of people don't know that in Louisville, is a huge sort of dumping ground for refugees. Uh, there's, a, there's an area of town where there's all of this developed, this ho- these housing developments, and a lot of people just come straight, like fresh from war-torn countries and various other things. And uh, what we started to do is we started to run soccer camps. Everybody, it's this universal language. Soccer is this beautiful connecting tool globally. And so we started running soccer camps, and all these kids started coming. And then we built the church from this place of like meeting them where they were and then come to find out, even though it was like a group of five white guys that started the church, our church services ended up being in like all these African languages. And so we took the back seat uh, as we actually started to roll out uh, what church was going to look like for us. And I remember even having conversations with these guys like weeks after we had started having services and we're like, we should probably put English on the slides also. That would be good if we sort of knew what we were singing, and everyone's like, yeah, that would be good. Um, but I remember, like, from that place and then starting other, being a part of other things, it, it just reminded me, and it, 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 at, um, we just have to be so careful of, 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 being, of being aware of our blind spots and being able to learn, right? Um, 90% of the things that we ended up doing at Antioch were things that I had never even seen before in church, Um, And yet, here was this community of people coming together on a weekly basis, sharing food together, and worshiping God together, um, and it was incredibly good. And so, become more curious. Cultural engagement is incredibly important. Um, I can't stress it enough. We need to do some serious work as Christians. Um, I don't have statistics on hand, but if you're reading some of the best guys like George Barna and others who are talking about this stuff, the steep decline that we find in the younger generations uh, of Christians is going to be something we have to address, and we have to do it quickly. We have to be more uh, aware of what's happening. And so I just want to give people space. I want to learn more about their story. And more than anything, I want to introduce people to Jesus because I believe that Jesus is uh, incredibly beautiful. He is the answer. Um, and, and, and Christianity, as weird as it sounds, is in desperate need um, of preaching the message of Jesus, <laughs> more so than anything else. I, um, I've had many long conversations with people who I have been very close to over the years, and it breaks my heart oftentimes to see how distracted we've become from other things 
that are not about Jesus. And um, again, we could, we could talk about those for a long time, but I want us to be focused on the message of Jesus and the mission of Jesus and the Matthew 25 mandates to come and to preach the good news to the poor. And for those, um, and for those who just need to hear it, we have to remember that our faith was built, right, in a culture where uh, they were lighting Christians on fire um, to light up their garden parties, right? And it's from this place of suffering and denying ourselves and taking up our crosses, from this, from this place that our faith has grown. And I think we just have had a challenge dealing with, um, we've had a challenge dealing with that in the West. And so, um, have more conversations, ask more great questions, be aware of the things going on around you, introduce yourself to new families. One of the reasons I love Central is all of the stories over the years um, that you guys have been engaging different things, and Carl's always so good about focusing on how this stuff impacts our very world in which we live and how Christ um, needs to come into those conversations. I just deeply appreciate that. And so, yeah, just a quick recap, and then I will pray as, we, as I close. Um, build bridges, not walls. Listen well. Pursue mutual understanding. Become more curious and less triggered. Ask non-threatening questions. Talk about Jesus. Never be ashamed of Jesus. Always talk about Jesus. Be welcoming, be courteous, be respectful, and be gracious. We just don't know what people are dealing with. It's incredible um, if we take a step back and be more patient what we will learn. Thank you uh, for your time this morning. Let me pray for us, and then we'll finish up the service. Lord, thank you for an opportunity this morning to share my heart um, with this church and for this community. I do pray for Central as they continue um, to build towards the future and they make decisions about the various things. Lord, would you just give them wisdom in that? Would you continue to provide grace and direction for this church and for this city? Lord, um, just so thankful for the things that have been done here and we're looking forward to all that you have for the future. Um, Help us, Lord, not to be culture warriors, but to be people who are postured like Jesus as we engage the world around us. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.